Mark Stein's fifth birthday Clubland Q&A starts right now. I'm five, I'm five, I'm a big boy now, I'm five. I can dress myself, I don't need mom to help me anymore. And when I sit in my father's chair, my feet can reach the floor. See, I'm five, I'm five, got a muscle and I'm five. I want to wrestle with my uncle Nat in a second he's on the ground. So fat, so red, better not get wise, cause I don't fool around. I can throw this rock a mile away and kill that rattlesnake. You dare me swallow my chungum down and not get a bellyache. When I was in the jungle, I frightened all the animals. And even Tarzan ran a mile when I was king of cannibals. My mother dares and spanked me just for going without a hat. She knows down well I'd run away cause I'm too old for that. What does she think, I'm three? Not me. What does she think, I'm four? I'm more than four. I'm even more than four and a half. I'm five. December 12th. Actually, May 6th. Don't worry, that's the only Danny Kay on today's show. Words and music by Milton Schaefer who died two years ago, just shy of his 100th birthday in the early weeks of the COVID. But he had 94 years on top of I'm Five, which isn't bad and is kind of inspirational. May the 6th, 2022. This is the fifth birthday of the Mark Stein Club, born in very dark days for me on May the 6th, 2017. So our Clubland Q&A today is not taking live questions from around the planet. Instead, we're reprising some questions and answers from 2017, courtesy of first day, first week, first month, first year founding members of the Mark Stein Club. Clubland Q&A was right there in May 2017. It was one of our founding features, although we experimented a bit from text to video to audio until settling on this format. But I know what you're thinking. One of the most controversial features of our show is the ceremonial recitation of the time zones at the top of every edition, which uh, some people hate and some people love. It's very marmite, as they say in the United Kingdom. So I'll bet you're wondering how that ceremonial recitation of the time zones sounded on our very first show. Hey, welcome along. This is a brand new format for our Clubland Q&As, taking questions from Mark Stein Club members all around the planet. Uh, Tuesday lunchtime on the west coast of the Americas. It's Tuesday afternoon on the east coast. It's Tuesday evening in Britain, Europe, the Middle East, and uh, Wednesday morning in Asia and the Pacific. Wait a minute, wait a minute. It's Tuesday evening in Britain, Europe, the Middle East. What kind of cockamamie recitation of the time zones is that? Fortunately, that part of the show has improved over the years, even if nothing else has. But as it happens, way back in 2017, we had a question about what would be going on five years hence in 2022. Kent W. writes... Five years from today, October 30th, 2022, which of the following, if any, will have occurred? A, the Mann versus Stein trial of the century defamation suit will actually have gone to trial. B, the Robert Mueller Russian collusion special counsel investigation will have finished and closed up shop. And C, Hillary Clinton will have run out of excuses for why she lost to Donald Trump. Seriously, the Mann versus Stein trial, I think I can say this safely, will not have come to trial by 2022 uh, because it's gone for en banc, a a rather boring uh, procedural appeal has gone for en banc review, as the lawyers say, to the D.C. Court of Appeals. And um, uh, it seems to me that is likely to be an indeterminate answer and it will therefore go to the Supreme Court. And I will be very surprised if we are back Uh, at the trial court for the trial before 2022. Robert Mueller, no, his Russian collusion special investigation. Uh, Paul, someone who once did business with Paul Manafort in 1978 will be being indicted around about this time in uh, 2022. 
And uh, Hillary Clinton will be on the uh, leg, uh, will be on the Welsh leg of the uh, book launch for the audiobook version of What Happened, Volume 4. That's what will be happening by 2022. Well, that was almost, almost three strikes, because in the case of Mann versus Stein, this is the defamation suit against me by Michael E. Mann, the big-time global warmonger who created the climate change hockey stick. As I mentioned a while back, the trial judge at the D.C. Superior Court, this is the fourth trial judge. Is he still on the case, or is... He flown the coop too. Uh, I'll have to get back to you on that. Anyway, the fourth trial judge actually set a trial date. Can you believe that? A trial court actually going to trial in Washington. Amazing. And the trial date was for next month, June 2022, which I thought was rather cute because it's more or less exactly the 10th anniversary of the case. So the judge seemed to have a sense of the awesome symbolism of that. Then he sends us a letter saying, uh, no, sorry, he's going to have to postpone it till February 2023, I think it is. Yeah, whatever. Uh, what a toilet this system is. Uh, normally that wouldn't be a smart thing to say about a judge in his court, but we're bound to be on to the fifth, sixth, seventh trial judge by February 2023. Uh, so, as it happens, I it turns out I got one out of three right. There would be no Mann versus Stein trial in 2022. Uh, as for Robert Mueller, he's resting, presumably in preparation for Trump's second term. And Hillary is also tanned, rested and ready. I expect she'll be at a pancake breakfast in New Hampshire in a month or three. Because some things never end. I... I'm a nasty woman. I'm not as nasty as a man who looks like he bathes in Cheeto dust. Alan Miller wrote, Trump boasted about grabbing women by their private parts, yet I can only find a couple of allegations, no court cases, and the impropriety alleged is only a small fraction of what Weinstein did. In other words, Trump was just making a hollow boast about how sexually uninhibited he was around women. What is worse, hollow boasting about something you've barely done or mild references a la Weinstein about things you've done lots of? Noting that half a million women went on the pussy grabs back march against Trump and since what Weinstein did was ten times worse... Why haven't we seen five million women on a march against Weinstein, writes Alan Miller. Yeah, I think you're right. I think Trump's just Trump's just talking like an alpha uh, male celeb about what he could do if he wanted to do. And there's not a lot of evidence he is uh, doing a lot of it. And by comparison, Weinstein did what he did on an industrial scale for decades. And... I, I find um, Ashley Judd's behavior interesting. When she was screaming about being a nasty woman at that, the day after the inauguration at that march, I think it was not unreasonable to look at her and conclude that this woman is, is somehow damaged in some way, that actually she's not, uh, uh, she, she's not psychologically in a healthy place. And I remember thinking that at the time because it's like this is a – Terrific actress, woman who has achieved great success, and this seems an unusual thing to be doing. And when you hear about what Harvey Weinstein did to her, you understand that actually these women are damaged in some ways, and that this kind of thing becomes a form of displacement, that somehow uh, Republican men, conservative men, uh, sexually uptight, they're sexually repressed, they're the ones who are causing all the trouble in the world. I don't like that talk with Trump, but I think people people with Trump discounted that. And it was never going to work when they brought it up just before the election. Because people figured, look, I don't want Jeb Bush. That's not playing the game, to go back to what we were saying earlier. I don't want Hillary Clinton. That's not playing the game. You know, when your husband's been president to decide you want to be president too. When your dad and your brother have been president to decide you want to be president too. That is not, quote, 
playing the game, unquote. That's not cricket. And even if it were, these people aren't any good. It's a racket. And, and the fact that they're the wives and brothers and sons of previous presidents actually emphasizes what a racket it is. And Trump sold himself to these people as the non-racket. And, and the character flaws were discounted. People, people are so bloody sick of the sclerosis of American politics and the racket of American politics that they would take anything. And that's why they voted for Trump. No, anyone who knows anything about like the Weinstein, the Kevin Spacey thing knows that a lot of terrible things go on in Hollywood and that, the, that in the noisiest industry, the noisiest industry about all the evils of the world is, in fact, the most depraved business to be on. Uh, and there's well, with one exception, because I don't want to miss this. Edward writes from the United Kingdom. He doesn't specify where he's writing from in the UK, but he says yet another Asian grooming gang was in court last week to very little media fanfare. What is your advice to parents and grandparents who are seriously worried about the safety of our children when we see repeatedly that our politicians do not care and are carrying on the same path of pathological immigration? Yeah, I often used to quote the line that um, MI5 uh, the, and the British Home Secretary, I think, uh, the, the, the Home Office used to use at the time that the... Uh, Irish troubles, so-called, were at their peak. And they used to talk about holding the IRA down to an acceptable level of violence. And I, I think actually governments in Britain and Germany and elsewhere are now actually thinking they can live with an acceptable level of child rape, an acceptable level of child sex slavery, an acceptable level of gang rape, they're not going to change anything. They're so invested in this. It's the central plank of post-war Western policy. The transformation of some of the oldest settled societies on earth into this multicultural hodgepodge. You ask about the safety of your children. One of the things about multiculturalism is that it reduces social trust because there are no social norms. If, for example, it is the norm for the person at 23 Elm Street never to let his wife out of the house unaccompanied and then only in a head-to-toe body bag, and on the other hand, it's the norm of the family at 21 Elm Street uh, to let their 14-year-old daughter out of the house in a uh, halter top with a pierced navel uh, and uh, and cut off shorts, uh, showing basically everything she's got. There are no, there is no longer any social norm binding the one uh, group in society and the other. So there is no social trust. So you have no agreed social patterns of behaviour. When I was in Rotherham, in Yorkshire, and I was talking to these girls. Uh, they they had basically two grievances. One was with the guys who'd groomed them and enslaved them and doused them in petrol and then danced around them with matches threatening to set them alight or, or thrown them on the floor and invited all their mates round to urinate on them or dangled them over the balcony uh, and threatened to drop them three stories to the ground and kill them. They had a grievance against those guys, but they also had a grievance against uh, the police, the social workers, and the politicians, for all of whom these children were collateral damage. They were so-called white slags, not just to the, to the so-called grooming gangs, the Muslim grooming gangs. They were also white slags, uh, as they put it, to the police and the social workers and the politicians, who, who were basically willing to uh, sacrifice them rather than actually rethink the precepts of multiculturalism. Multiculturalism will make... I mean, we are going to... I said this in After America in 2011. We are on the verge of seeing a massive uptick in sex slavery uh, because, because of the value judgments... And I've heard this from girls now in Rotherham, in Yorkshire, in the Netherlands, in Sweden, in Germany, all over Europe. The same thing, that the boys tell them this. 
you know, the, the, the boys, the white girls are for sex. The white girls do things that the nice Muslim cousin you're made to marry from back in your home village in Pakistan. She doesn't know anything. She doesn't. She doesn't exist in pop culture. She doesn't. She she doesn't know anything about hookups or friends with benefits. She's a nice girl in a body bag, and she makes the perfect wife. But by comparison, the white slag is the one you do anything you want to. She is of no value. You would never dream of marrying her. But you can do anything you want to her. And this duality, which is actually also a residue of multiculturalism is going to is going to be hell for Europe in the years to come. August 15th, 2017. Kevin Clark writes, not the most important issue, perhaps, but would you care to comment on the future for women's sports? It seems inconsistent to integrate the military such that women can storm the beaches at Normandy shoulder to shoulder with men, but still need their own cordoned off safe spaces to play soccer or basketball. Women's sports is dead uh, because of the issue we were talking about just a couple of minutes ago, which is the transgender issue. Every couple of weeks now, there's a story about how some male to female transgender has just triumphed in the in the women's cycling or the track event. There was one in, a, I think, a high school uh, in Vermont recently where some transgender person... Uh, my my son, who is a kind of indifferent member of the male track team, has pointed out that if he transitioned, uh, he'd be the state champion in 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 the uh, in the women's sports. So I think the whole transgender thing is actually going to kill uh, women's sports completely. Uh, so you won't have to worry about women's sports anymore because there ain't going to be any of uh, of those. I'm a dreamer, aren't we all? Just a dreamer, but aren't we all? Uh, Toby Pilling writes, would the media narrative on dreamers in the USA be different if they were known by the acronym DIMS, Descendants of Illegal Migrants, uh, I don't care what you call them, as long as you don't call them, uh, uh, as long as you don't call them dreamers. I, I was uh, on Fox and Friends the other day, and Ainsley referred to dreamers, and I said that I just couldn't bear that. I can't bear the sentimentalization of public policy. And just to go back to what Scott was saying, how do you? Why do you think nothing ever changes? Nothing ever changes. On the day that everything changed. Nothing changed, except we all got to have to take off our shoes when we go to the airport and shuffle through those detectors uh, like a big uh, herd of sheep, flock of sheep, uh, and uh, internal travel within the United States is now absolute hell and will be unto the end of time, uh, because that uh, security dinner theatre is all that anyone is actually seriously prepared to change. One of the reasons for things like this is the absurd sentimentalization of public policy. In what sense are these people dreamers? Uh, they, they're the children of illegal immigrants, some of whom are now in middle age. Uh, at the time Obama uh, issued his pardon, as it were, five years ago, I think the maximum age you could be was 30. You could, you, you, you could be 30 and 11 months and 29 days. So in other words, there are now people who are of 36 who are so-called dreamers. And given the accuracy, given, given that by definition they're traveling on fake papers, they're undocumented or they're documented with false papers, a lot of them are in their, uh, in their 40s. Why, why call them dreamers? Because the minute you say dreamers, it means you can uh, take pictures of uh, doe-eyed moppets uh, who were brought here against their will it's through no fault of their own. Every dreamer, we're told, we're told that the U.S. military is full of dreamers. Uh, the children of illegal immigrants are all that's holding up. The United States military, of these 180,000 so-called dreamers, I believe it's fewer than 500 are in the military. Yet to read the media coverage, you would think that the average dreamer is a high school valedictorian who's about to sign on for his first tour in Iraq. It's completely preposterous. And this sentimentalization of public policy is one reason why we cannot think seriously about any 
uh, of the real uh, of the real issues. Why why are they dreamers? You know, because they're romantic. What does it mean? They're romantic. Uh, if you're a non-dreamer like me, you go to some boring American government office and they give you a big pile of stupid paperwork that you have to fill in and you have to provide a lot of boring documentation with that paperwork and you've got to hand it to a bureaucrat and the bureaucrat sits on it for years and then uh, after he's been sitting on it for a few years, he gives it the once over and he stamps it yay or nay. And obviously that's not a being a dreamer, is it? That's not romantic. It's much more romantic to take a flat-bottom skiff across the Rio Grande and just walk into America rather than... I mean, what could be less dreamlike than going to an American government office and filling in the stupid government paperwork? The sentimentalization of public policy on immigration particularly uh, is why we are where we are at 16 years after 9-11. September 11th. 2017. This is the first year uh, that I did not rerun a lot of material from 16 years ago uh, about that grim day, September 11th, 2001, because to be honest, it's too depressing. And I didn't think that this is where we would be 16 years later. Uh, They said at the time, that 9-11 was the day that, quote, everything changed. And if by everything changed, you mean that the rate of mass Muslim immigration to the West doubled, then yes, it did change. Uh, And partly as a consequence of uh, that rather bizarre byproduct of 9-11, we find ourselves here 16 years on fighting for absolutely barren and worthless bits of sod like Helmand Province in Afghanistan, for example, while surrendering some of the most valuable and highly developed real estate on the planet, such as Sweden and France. We have uh, more or less learned entirely the wrong lessons of 9-11 and spent 16 years pursuing phantoms. So ask me a question about 9-11 Uh, if you want, but uh, the decision not to post any anniversary material was mine, and I take full responsibility for it. And in fact, we have a question from Deplorable Gal who says, uh, Hi Mark, is it just me, or is the passive voice in all these tributes just another posthumous victory for the terrorists? Am I overthinking this? All this talk about towers falling, lives lost, those who died. How did this language become the acceptable language for murdered by Islamic terrorists? This isn't actually a new thing. I was very struck by that passivity on the first anniversary of September 11th in 2002. And in fact, I was actually struck by it within weeks of the attack itself. I remember driving through New Hampshire and hearing sort of rather weepy, maudlin, saccharine, hallmark greeting card piano music, such as would accompany a drippy movie on the Lifestyle Channel, or whatever it's called, uh, and already references to tragedy and the tragic events. It wasn't a tragic event. It was people who hate you trying to kill you. And uh, there is something about the tone of the events. I uh, was... Uh, driving along, uh, happened to be in the car at the exact moment, 16 years to the time the first tower was attacked, and they began the anniversary observances in 9-11 in Lower Manhattan with the recitation of the names of the dead from A to Z. And at a certain level, it is moving and dignified, Uh, But in the absence of anything else, it is also, as deplorable gal said, passive. And I think our enemies have figured that out. And that's why I chose to commemorate the fifth anniversary of Benghazi uh, today, because in part it seems to me more telling. The, the, The need and the wish to deny the reality of what happened at Benghazi Uh, seems as revealing a glimpse into the psychosis afflicting America and the West as anything that happened on the day that supposedly everything changed. I regret saying that, but it saddens me to read 
the material I wrote on September 11th, September 12th, and the days that followed, and then to look at where we are now, 16 years later, and to look at the way, for example, free speech is being hollowed out uh, by politicians around the world who pretend that Islamophobia, for example, is a real thing rather than a conscious strategy by those who despise uh, core Western liberties like free speech to make us all shut up about some of the more obvious problems with that particular religion. And I was struck too by the absence of certain words in the 9-11 commemorations, starting with the most obvious word, Islam. Carla McAuliffe writes, Hi Mark, do you think the tide is turning a bit? As an American who has always loved football, I have to be very disturbed about the national anthem protests. Today I was happy with what appears uh, to be Roger Goodell's letter to the NFL that players should stand for the anthem after President Trump turned the media coverage from protests about police brutality to being against patriotism and the military. Well, Trump won this one. Everyone said, oh, he's inserted himself into this. No, what was going on was absolutely disgusting. And I don't, I don't care about. I, I find I mentioned this uh, before. I mentioned it on the radio and TV. I think the 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 the, the level of discussion on this is nuts. A, a national anthem is a national anthem because everybody does the same thing when it happens. You hear the few uh, uh, the, the 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 music strikes up and you stand up. That's what happens in a national anthem. It's not a particularly American thing. It's consistent ever since they began national anthems. I think the Dutch was the first one, if I'm remembering correctly. That's what's happened. Uh, in, in my own country, O Canada uh, got the status of a national anthem on two occasions. One was at the dedication of the Vimy Memorial in France for, for the dead of the Great War in, uh, I think it was 1937, 38, and uh, King Edward VIII, one of his few public engagements, uh, because he reigned for a very short time before he went off, flounced off with Mrs. Simpson, he remained, he, he, he was dedicating the Vimy Memorial in France. And O Canada started, and he remained standing at the, the salute. And people thought, wait a minute, back in Ottawa, they were going, wait a minute, what, what was that about? Is, is he saying that O Canada has the status of a national anthem. And then a year or two later, George VI was at the dedication of Canada's war memorial in Ottawa. And again, they started playing O Canada, and he remained standing at the salute. And from that point on, everyone has always stood for O Canada. That's what, it's a national anthem because everybody in the nation does the same thing for it. And here's, here's where I, I react as a foreigner to the argument going on in America, that people have a uh, First Amendment right. Uh, it's a freedom of expression thing. If you, if you want to disrespect the national anthem, that's a legal constitutional right. Who the hell cares if it's a legal constitutional right? Who the hell cares about that? It's boorish and ill-mannered. If you want to protest police brutality, you've got 23 hours and 59 minutes throughout the day to do it. But you don't do that to your national anthem. It's just boorish and vulgar and ill-mannered and stupid. And it's nothing to do with freedom of expression. If my dog comes in and takes a leak over the casket during my grandmother's memorial service... That's also freedom of expression, but it doesn't mean I should be encouraging the dog to do it. There's something absolutely amazing in the idiocy from left and right of the discussion that is somehow it's all about what's legal and what's not legal. As I said, I quote, quote Lord Moulton all the time because he was the last guy to talk any sense on this. If everything needs a law to say whether you can legally do it or it's illegal to do it, you're screwed, your country's dead, it's over. Because what matters is what used to be the 80% of life that was just regulated by manners, by a sense of what's appropriate. 
And the, the NFL thing is nothing to do with what's legal. It's to do with what you should be doing. It's to do with what's ill-mannered, what's stupid, what's boorish, what's vulgar, what's half-witted, and what's got nothing to do with your flag and your national anthem. And I can hardly bear to watch, you know, even among my friends at Fox News or whatever, I cannot watch. I saw Joe Namath today. Joe Namath regretting that somehow... Joe Namath regretting that somehow these nice players who'd drawn attention to police brutality and somehow they were, you know, get real. If you demolish a national anthem so that a national anthem becomes an opportunity for self-expression, it's not a national anthem anymore. Okay, so we've got some people who stand up for the national anthem. We've got some people who take a knee for the national anthem. Maybe there's another group of people who'd like to, to, to do an interpretative dance for the national anthem. Maybe Harvey Weinstein would like to drop his pants and masturbate into a pot plant during the national anthem. Once everybody sees a national anthem as an opportunity for self-expression, it's not a national anthem anymore. October 10th, 2017. Tony Abbott, the former Australian Prime Minister, speaking on climate change to Nigel Lawson's uh, Global Warming Foundation in London last night. Uh, Tony Abbott said, Civilizational self-doubt is everywhere. We believe in everyone but ourselves, and everything is taken seriously except that which used to be. I'll give you an example of this. Uh, the Fraser Institute in Canada and the Cato Institute in the United States, every year they've published their rankings of economic freedom around the world. And here is the rankings uh, for this year, the top 10. I'll do them like they do uh, Miss America in reverse order. Uh, number Or the hit parade. Number 10, Estonia. Number 9, Australia. Number 8, Georgia. Number seven, Mauritius. Number six, the United Kingdom. Number five, Ireland. Number four, Switzerland. Number three, New Zealand. Number two, Singapore. And number one, the economically freest place on the planet, according to the annual rankings of the Cato Institute and the Fraser Institute, Hong Kong. So that's the top ten. If you're wondering where the United States came uh, they're just bubbling under the top 10, as Casey Kasem would say, at hit sound number 11. If you're wondering where the Dominion of Canada is, that's also uh, bubbling under the top 10, uh, tied with the United States at hit sound number 11. So that's the top 12 economically freest places on earth. And do you notice something that they might have in common. I'll just go through them again, this time from number one down to number 12 or number 11 equal. Hong Kong, Singapore, New Zealand, Switzerland, Ireland, United Kingdom, Mauritius, Georgia, Australia, Estonia, Canada, United States. Uh, what do they have in common? Well, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine of those 12 economically freest countries are countries that are either current or former realms of the British crown. Hong Kong, Singapore, New Zealand, Ireland, the United Kingdom, Mauritius, Australia, Canada, and the United States. And there's just three other places. Switzerland, and then two places that recently cast off the yoke of Soviet e uh, communism, and so are a little uh, bit more gung-ho for capitalism read in tooth and claw, than uh, your average Scandinavian social democracy is. But nine of those countries, nine of those countries are uh, current or former members uh, of, the, uh, of the British Empire and the British uh, Commonwealth, uh, which is remarkable. So Tony Abbott is right. What, what, what's up with this civilizational doubt? Uh, the best thing that can happen to you is that you have, uh, have either been settled or colonized by England and that you have English ideas of liberty uh, somewhere in your uh, foundational, uh, so somewhere in your uh, societal DNA. And if you don't, it's a lot tougher to create conditions by which people are able to fulfill their economic potential, although obviously uh, Switzerland has no danger doing it. So why, uh, why do we have a situation where the people who rule us 
are mired in a form of contempt for our inheritance, which takes various forms, uh, including whether or not it's uh, you you see it in uh, something like uh, how uh, the, how whether or not people will even stand for the national anthem at an NFL game. December eleventh. 2017. Jack Shaw writes, what will it take to get a proper unbiased review and vetting of the FBI and DOJ? Or is it possible? Why aren't the Republicans in the House and Senate demanding same? Yeah, I don't get this either. Um, The Department of Justice was corrupt during the Obama era in that there was not equality before the law. And it remains corrupt now. But I'm sick of the corruption. I'm sick of the corruption. This is a dirty, rotten, stinking, corrupt investigation by a dirty, rotten, stinking, corrupt uh, Federal Bureau of Investigation and a dirty, stinking, rotten, corrupt Department of Justice. And when you've got a corrupt Justice Department, uh, that's basically, again, that's Banana Republic 101 and it needs to be cleaned out. I don't know what we do about the uh, FBI. We may be getting to the point where we might as well just abolish it and start from scratch because it's getting, uh, we're getting to that stage. Hallelujah, hallelujah, and you'll soon the blues away. singing hallelujah because that dirty stinking rotten corrupt triple play from the december 17th 2017 q a is i believe the first time i deployed that formulation against the dirty stinking rotten corrupt u.s department of justice and its dirty stinking rotten corrupt sub agencies i've done it many times in the intervening five years. I long ago gave up expecting any Republican candidates to do anything about it. So all that talk about cleaning out the dirty, stinking, rotten, corrupt sewer has long been abandoned. But here's my minimum requirement. Given that the next Republican attorney general should be at least sentient enough to know the entire operation under him, will be working to undermine the next Republican president. The Republican Attorney General could at least ask the next Republican Secretary of Office signage and nameplates to order up a brand new sign for the building, announcing it to the world as the dirty, stinking, rotten, corrupt Department of Justice. New name, new business card, same great service. William Strook says, OK, Stein, so what should we have done after 9-11? Blow Afghanistan all to hell and then what? Uh, well, there's, there's two ways to approach uh, foreign interventions. If you're an old school imperialist like me, the point is to export your values and, if necessary, impose your values. For example... If the British had not been in India, what would the Indian subcontinent look like now? Well, it would look like the Middle East. It would be a crazy quilt of uh, not not sultans and emirs. It uh, would be uh, uh, maharajas in uh, the Indian subcontinent uh, and nizams and things. But it would be the same thing, a crazy quilt of uh, maharajas and other little statelets where the maharaj had been toppled and been replaced by this or that dictator. In other words, it would be a disaster. Instead, it's where you call uh, when you need tech support on one of your little electronic gizmos. You come through to Rajiv or Suresh in Bangalore and they sort out your problem for you. You can thank Lord Macaulay uh, and... uh, uh, his Her Majesty's government uh, for that, because that's why India is a uh, the world's largest democracy and a functioning place. So to old school imperialists like me, imperialism is worth it. But America does not have an imperialistic bone in its body. And that is something I say with a measure of melancholy 
and regret, but it is a fact. So uh, the the fact of the matter is is that we have been in Afghanistan, but for what reason is unclear. Uh, we have spent a huge amount of money. So the NATO occupation has been responsible for 98% of Afghanistan's GDP. And I'll give you a good example of, of where we go wrong on things like that. We've built all these schoolhouses all over Afghanistan. We've built all these schoolhouses. So the buildings are great. They're fantastic. But unlike Lord Macaulay, we have not given a moment of thought to what's taught in those schoolhouses. So what's the point of providing fabulous infrastructure uh, for the incubation of uh, Islamic uh, supremacism, which is what's being taught in those schoolhouses? So there's, there's, uh, there's two ways to look at it. There's, uh, I think this was proposed by John Derbyshire at National Review. His line was, rubble doesn't cause trouble, which is you go there, you blow the the place to bits, and then you say you make the mistake of catching our eye again and we'll come and blow you to bits again. Or there's, as I said, the British view where you basically turn India into a functioning version of a uh, Westminster uh, parliamentary system. Uh, but but in fact, we haven't done either. On the first night, and this is where it all went wrong, in October 2001, on the first night of the Afghan invasion, uh, Omar, Mullah Omar and the Taliban leadership hitched up their skirts and started to skedaddle out of town. And a drone had Mullah Omar's fleeing vehicle from his compound in its sights and was ready to blow Mullah Omar to hell when a guy from CENTCOM said down the wire, my JAG doesn't like this. If, you, if you're not American, a JAG is a judge advocate general. That's to say an army lawyer. And the army lawyer nixed the vaporization of Mullah Omar on the first night of the Afghan invasion. And Donald Rumsfeld was furious about that. He was hopping mad about that. As well, he should be. What a coup that would have been. If you're going to go in and you're just going to kill the bad guys and get out, you've got to kill the bad guys. If you're not an imperialist, you've got to kill the bad guys. If you're, if you're, so, so if you're not a, an imperialist, you shouldn't be messing around pseudo-nation building, but not really for 15 years. You know, in other words, building infrastructure like schoolhouses... Uh, but not caring a whit what's taught in those schoolhouses. So if you're not an imperialist, don't get into pseudo-nation building. But if you're not an imperialist, you've got to just go in and kill the bad guys. And if you're going in to kill the bad guys, but you don't kill the bad guys because your army lawyer back in Florida doesn't like it, uh, you shouldn't even be doing that either. And that's, that's where I am after 16 years. There's no doubt that... America has the most uh, technically advanced armed forces on the planet, technologically advanced. It also has the most highly trained troops on the planet. Uh, no doubt about that. There's nothing to compare with uh, U.S. special forces. Uh, they, they do extraordinary things. But there's no point to either the manpower or the technology or the vast budget, if you do not understand uh, the object of war is to crush the enemy's will. And that is the one aspect of this that has gone wrong since day one. May 17th, 2017. Lincoln, on the other hand, called it the mystic cords of memory, that a society shares certain mystic chords of memory that it hears. And that compact between the present and the past enables you to have a future. If you just skitter around on the surface of the present, you are unlikely to have a future. And it's, it's interesting to me. I got a letter uh, earlier today from a lady called Christine, who she was talking 
uh, about the Alan Bloom book, The Closing of the American Mind. I've got a big essay up at Stein Online writing about it. And she said she'd read that book when it came out in the 1980s. And she couldn't actually follow it, follow what he was saying, because uh, in a sense, her education was, was so basic. Uh, uh, not to uh, put her down or anything, but in a sense, she uh, had been educated not to even grasp what it was that he was on about. And she said she was grateful for reading my essay uh, because I'd actually explained, uh, as she saw it, Alan Bloom's music thesis rather more clearly than he had. And I I was thinking about Christine's letter, and and it occurred to me that that is a real problem with where we are today, that, that, that in a sense, uh, even to know what you have lost presumes some knowledge of that loss. So that if you have never been raised, if you have never been educated to hear the music in Shakespeare or Haydn or the great civilizational thread that connects Greece and Rome to Magna Carta and the United States Constitution and so on. If you have never, if that, all that is a mystery to you because you were just doing uh, uh, Maya Angelou uh, at high school, it's very, it's very difficult even to have a sense of loss. And I think anyone who's actually tried to explain to people why a lack of pride in your civilization is a bad thing is aware that they don't even get it they don't understand what it is and don't forget that uh, that lies have to live in a void of ignorance so you first you have to create the void I'm a lineman for the county And I drive the main road Roy Epen uh, writes, uh, Dr. Roy from Montreal, who, if you ever go to any event, almost anywhere in Canada, Ottawa, Toronto, Montreal, you'll find uh, Dr. Dr. Roy there. He's an indefatigable uh, attender of events whether they're with members of the royal family or i think i saw i i think i saw him with a photograph of uh, uh, standing between a couple of movie stars the other day so he gets around dr roy very sociable he goes i loved your articles on glenn campbell i had an enormous crush on him when i was younger he will be very much missed i love glenn campbell's voice well i love two things about glenn campbell he had a great voice and he was a great guitar player too he plays on a lot of big hit records i mentioned he played on uh, Sinatra, Strangers in the Night, but he's there on uh, You've Lost That Love and Feeling, a lot of big hit records. He was uh, a great guy, and I miss him. And I found it very moving. I touched on this, uh, really, for my own family history. If you've had any experience of dementia, it's uh, almost unbearable, if you love someone, to watch the cloud descend. Not, Not for selfish reasons. You know, I didn't mind... When uh, I, with with my father, for example, when uh, he could no longer say my name or seemed quite clear who I was or any of that. But the loss of human personality, as it's just being uh, eaten away, I think it's very difficult if you've watched that up close uh, not to be... Uh, profoundly moved by it. Mrs. Thatcher, when when this happened to President Reagan, Mrs. Thatcher used a lovely phrase at the uh, service in Washington uh, about how now, in the hereafter, the cloud had been lifted and Ronald Reagan, her friend, was restored. And one hopes it is like that. I I was very struck by that line, and I have never forgotten it when Mrs. Thatcher used it at the service for President Reagan. But what was interesting to me was that after he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, uh, Glenn Campbell kept on touring for as long as he could because the lyrics stayed and the music stayed, and he could still play and he could still sing, and it was virtually the last thing to go. 
And as someone who loves music and as someone who loves song, and uh, sometimes my enthusiasm for songs is not understood by people who want me just to talk about jihad, uh, Islamization, the collapse of Western civilization all day long, all week long, all year long, forever and ever as we slip into the abyss of history. The reason I do is because I think that the good Lord did not just uh, by happy accident make it that music and songs are the last thing that remain with us when everything else has been eaten away. Uh, There is something primal and essential about it, and you certainly see it in Glenn Campbell's last performances, and I thank you for that question. to get more musical, certainly more non-political questions five years ago before COVID and election theft and the Great Reset consumed the world. Maybe we're still getting them, but they don't seem to muscle their way to the head of the line uh, so that I get to see them the way they used to during the show. Instead, in recent months, uh, we've taken to having a little bit of music uh, in the show as a kind of palate cleanser. So let me blend our Clubland Q&A then with our Clubland Q&A now by matching the question to the music. Michael Bledsoe uh, writes, Mark, as the autumn leaves start to fall and October goes, I wonder if you are familiar with the late singer Nancy Lamott, who did a beautiful rendition of Autumn Leaves. Uh, when October Goes, and if so, what you thought of her. Both those lyrics, as you know, are by Johnny Mercer. Uh, The last one was uh, found after Mercer died, and Ginger Mercer gave it to Barry Manilow, of all people, to set to music. And uh, Bazza didn't do a bad job on it, and it's a pretty song. And as much as Barry Manilow's version is nice, uh, Nancy Lamott, rings the full juice of that song. I, I love Nancy Lamott. She was a um she was a she was a wonderful singer. What what I liked about Nancy Lamott is um if you if she sang a song you'd heard a thousand times before, like Moon River, for example. Moon River is a great song, but somehow somehow at a certain point when you hear Moon River it's just some fella singing a song. And it doesn't doesn't really pierce you. And when I heard Nancy, the first time I heard Nancy sing that, she had somehow made you hear it for the first time again. And that's why I loved, uh, it's going back away now, I love to go and hear uh, Nancy sing whenever she was appearing in New York. About three days before she died, uh, and that's literally true, and she knew she was dying, uh, she she kind of pulled herself together and gave the most beautiful rendition of the Rogers and Hart song, I Didn't Know What Time It Was, that I've ever heard. And as I said, it was about three or four days before she died. She knew she was dying. She knew what time it was. And I have rarely heard anything that... that, that gets inside you the way her version of I didn't know what time it was uh, did. I I thank her for that. Once I was young Yesterday perhaps Danced with Jim and Paul And kissed some other chaps Once I was young But never was naive I thought I had a trick or two Up my imaginary sleeve But now I know I was naive I didn't know what time it was Then I met you Oh, 
time it was How sublime it was to I didn't know what day it was You held my hand Warm like the month of May it was And I'll say it was grand So grand to be alive To be young, to be mad To be yours alone Grand to see your face Feel your touch, hear your voice say I'm yours alone I didn't know what year it was Life was no prize I wanted love And here it was Shining out of your eyes I'm wise And I know what time it is To be mad, to be yours alone Grand to see your face, feel your touch, hear your voice say I'm yours alone I didn't know what you My life was no prize I wanted love And here it was Shining out of your eyes I'm wise And I know What time it is no. Nancy Lamott, the last song of her short life, December 4th, 1995. She was dead of cancer a few days later. She knew what time it was. Those of us listening did not. I would like to be able to walk into Tavern on the Green in New York in the park and hear Nancy Lamott sing that again. But like so many small pleasures in this blighted world, it is gone forever. I thank Michael Bledsoe, a first-day founding member of the Mark Stein Club, for that question, and I'm glad to be able to put the music to it five years later. I know what time it is. The hour is late. But the Mark Stein Club has made it through its first five years, against the odds, I would say. And we begin our second half decade with strong hearts. Stay safe, stay free.
Mark Stein's Clubland Q&A is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. All rights reserved.